Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Dose of Dog, presented by our friends at Embark. Make sure to check out Embark online and also throughout social media. Great spot to take care of your dog. And of course, this is the best podcast for learning about uh, doggy behaviors and what to do for uh, our canine friends. As always, we have Heather with us. Oh, she uh, she loves dogs more than uh, more than anybody else. Isn't that right, Heather? <laughs> That's true. I mean, and I, I can talk for hours probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness I'm the one that controls the uh, the stop button because if not, she would just keep on going, going, going. Not that that's a bad thing at all. And make sure, folks, you go back through, you check out all of the great podcasts we already have. I know that, uh, Heather, the uh, Dog Training Myths one has been getting a lot of traction in the oh, last uh, so go back and check that one out, Dog Training Myths, and especially if you're just new to this podcast series, uh, that's a great one. Uh, mm. Not only is it myths, but maybe some old wise tales and things like that, uh, a reminder of, uh, of uh, things have evolved in the last yes. few decades. Uh, Heather, it's hard, what the, it's hard what to talk about today? Um, well, so today we're going to talk about um, triggers and thresholds, which Sounds possibly kind of geeky, I guess. <laughs> I try to not get too geeky because I know normal people maybe don't want to geek out <laughs> about behavior. Um, so uh, trigger, we're going to talk about triggers and thresholds. So those of you that have um, sought out behavior consulting from me, you we've talked a lot about this. I think everyone um, that's come in for behavior work, we kind of walk through what thresholds are and what triggers are and what trigger stacking is. So I thought today we would um, kind of just take a look at, you know, it's 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 kind of along the lines of why dogs do what they do, I guess. I mean, we've done a couple episodes on that, but this is looking at when your dog has an incident. So that could be you know, maybe lunging, barking at another dog, maybe growling at a child. Um, you know, growling at a neighbor, um, some kind of an incident that we, we often deem undesirable, I guess I would, (laughs) would preface this with, um, behaviors that we don't really want to see in our dogs, why they do that. And, and there's a trigger stacking is something that I think we as humans really understand, but I think we forget that our dogs are kind of these sentient, sentient, like feeling beings and, and trigger stacking can occur with them too. So, um, so first I think we'll talk about threshold. And, and like I said, if you're, if you've done behavior work with me, you, we've talked a lot about this because one of our goals is to increase, um, kind of that dog's ability to handle their triggers. So first I have to kind of define some things for everyone. So um, I'm going to talk about triggers. So what is a trigger? A trigger is something that essentially kind of sets your dog off. They get uncomfortable. Um, it might not be something that they growl, lunge, bark at initially, but a trigger might be you have a dog that doesn't like strangers. You have a dog that doesn't appreciate children. You have a dog that doesn't like cats. You have a dog that doesn't like other dogs. So Um, Or it could be something in the environment. It could be, you know, a thunderstorm. It could be, um, gosh, lots of sound phobic dogs I've had these last couple of weeks. So it could be possibly your dog has a fear of sounds. Um, 
really anything, the vacuum, <laughs> uh, nail trims, going to the veterinarian's office, car rides. So, you know, we all have dogs that have triggers. I mean, you could have the most socially stable dog in the universe and there still is the potential that something could be upsetting to them. And when I say that, I don't mean that that maybe they're going to bark, lunge, bite over that. It just might make them uncomfortable. And, and, you know, we know, Scott, we've talked about this, I think in the, the episode on body language that we're not going to see this huge reaction sometimes from our dogs, but we're going to see little like snippets of pieces of body language that tell us that the dog is uncomfortable. So are they yawning? Are they avoiding? Are they turning away from the trigger? So when I talk about triggers, it's kind of anything, it could be anything in your dog's environment that maybe make them uncomfortable. And so, and again, we all, we all have that, um, you know, even the, you know, we all have that quintessential golden retriever from our childhood in the back of our head that we think, oh my gosh, you know, the dog was out all day and they played with kids and loved everything. But I guarantee even that dog had something, you know, that was upsetting to them. I mean, that's a normal living creature really. So when I talk about triggers, that's what it means. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be something big and, and utterly terrifying. Um, it can be maybe something small perhaps. So <clears throat> that's what I mean by a trigger. So our goal in behavior work is to kind of take each of these triggers and kind of classically counter condition them so that they are very either neutral or tolerable to the learner essentially is kind of what our goal is. So uh, triggers. So let's talk about trigger stacking, I guess, before we talk about threshold. So trigger stacking is essentially when you take single events. So single events that stack upon one another. So let me, I'll give you a human example and that kind of will put into perspective for a lot of people. So let's say that Scott wakes up late, which Scott probably never does, right? <laughs> so let's say you wake up late for work. Um, and you have a really big day ahead of you. So you're kind of frantic because you have woken up late or your alarm didn't go off or whatever may have occurred. Um, you get up, you stub your toe in the shower. So, you know, you're kind of frantic when you get up, you stub your toe in the shower. You're like, oh, you make coffee on your way out of the house. You're dressed in your business attire. You spill your coffee. Um, so there's another kind of check <laughs> against your day. Um, you get into your car and then you're behind, you know, a paving truck. Let's say the other day to work, they were paving the highway on the way to work. And, and I got behind a paving truck and a lot of traffic. So you get to work, you have stubbed your toe, you woke up late, like your day is just not going how it, how it should have. And someone in your office maybe asks if you can help with a project. Well, you have been trigger stacked essentially, and you've had multiple events happen that have caused you a little bit of stress. So you're just not in the prime position to be a helpful, amiable coworker in that moment. And so this happens to our dogs all the time. And with our dogs, we, we sometimes don't recognize that sometimes single events, the, maybe the impact that those might have on a dog um, and, and if you think about the scenario that I gave you when you're late for work, you, you haven't really had any time to decompress between those single events. And so your tolerance for pa being patient, um, and I, I know that's a human um, kind of word, but um, your, your ability to be patient, your 
threshold um, for things happening is not very high. You know, it's going to take one little thing to kind of set you off that day. You know, you, um, you know, you lock yourself out of your car, maybe at lunch when you're going to get lunch and then you're going to have like a meltdown. So it's something that we have to consider in our dogs because I think we just think, oh, they're dogs, you know, they're just going to, you know, they're going to be able to blow it off and be fine with it. But, but that doesn't happen. Um, we know that cortisol levels in their brain can stay elevated for quite a long time. So, you know, if I gave an example of a dog, um, let's say that, um, in the morning, let's say that you, your dog got a nail trim. So let's say they went to the groomer and they got their nails trim, which, which for this particular dog might be highly traumatic and scary. So they're coming off of that event kind of charged. Um, and then let's say that you have a dog who's fairly reactive and then you get home and you walk them. You think, gosh, let's just decompress them. We'll take them on a neighborhood walk. Well, let's say upon your neighborhood walk, there are two loose dogs that come up to you and your dog has an incident, you know, they bark lunge, you know, you have to literally just drag them out of that scenario. Um, um, and even the best, the people that are the, have best leash handling skills and they work with their own reactive dog, that still happens to a lot of people where they just have to leave the environment. So, um, so they had a nail trim, they had a reaction on a walk. Um, and then let's say at lunchtime you have guests over. So let's say at lunchtime you have an influx of people coming into your house and your dog is stressed by strangers. Um, and so that is kind of a scary environment. And let's say that these guests have a child with them and maybe um, your dog isn't really um, comfortable around children. And let's say that child goes to hug your dog and the dog like delivers a bite to that child. So oftentimes these incidents, people will say, oh my gosh, it just happened out of the blue. Like, He's never done this before. This happened out of the blue. But if you really take a diagnostic look at what happened to that, that dog that day, before noon, they had three to four, let's say, um, fairly significant events that, that have triggered them to kind of be in a place where their, their ability to handle stressors is not going to be that high. So, so if we look at our dogs and we look at at some of these stressors, I don't think we sometimes recognize that these little incidences can stack up. And that's why we call it trigger stacking. They have had multiple events over the course of, of that day, the hour, the, the week, perhaps. Um, and those dogs have been sta trigger stacked. So their tolerance, um, or, or, and I wouldn't even say tolerance, because that's not really fair. Their ability, I guess, to handle some incidents that are scary to them might just be a lot less than if, you know, maybe that whole day they went on a walk out in a field with no other dogs and they got to chase field mice and they had a lovely day. Um, and maybe, you know, if the guests would have come over that day, the dog may have been a, a lot more able to handle some of those social stressors that were being put on them. So, you know, when we look at bite cases, a lot of people will say, oh gosh, Heather, this just happened out of the blue. But if you really look back, it's very, very rare that these things happen out of the blue. And the more astute an owner becomes of body language, the more we can recognize those signs um, the moment they're occurring and then do something to intervene. So <clears throat> what, what needs to happen oftentimes in those environments is that the dog needs time to decompress. It's just like we do. Like, let's go back to that day where you woke up late, you stubbed your toe, you spilled your coffee. Um, you know, that day at lunch, like it might just be good to go out and sit 
in a quiet place somewhere. It might be good to go, you know, um, in your car and meditate or go to a yoga class or, or whatever it might be that, that is, that helps you decompress in that moment. So with our dogs, we, we, we sometimes don't realize that they also need these decompression moments. Um, so I think that's something to keep in the back of our head. And then the second piece to this is thresholds. So we talked about trigger stacking and how sometimes these triggers can get stacked upon one another. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes with triggers, it's some people will say to me or say about their dog, well, they should be able to handle that. Well, we all have our own feelings and emotions around a lot of things. And that's like saying, hey, Heather, you should be able to handle, you know, um, going to a movie every Friday night or something, which I don't do. Like, I don't think I've been to a movie in good Lord, 12 years, maybe. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's just something I, I don't enjoy. Um, and so, so I, I just, it's not a situation I want to put myself in. So, and that, that's maybe not a great example, but, um, you should be able to handle this. Well, unless you're, you have prepared that animal for what this environment might look like, or they're one of that, those dogs that are, exquisitely socially stable, which sometimes dogs are just like that. Like I've had a couple dogs that are just, I mean, I know that I've put a lot of work into raising them, but they can handle anything. <laughs> um, and there's, a, and I've also had the opposite of dogs that can't handle a lot of things. So it's just very dependent on a lot of factors, genetics and, and, you know, a, a lot of environmental things. So, so, um, so let's talk about thresholds. So, Threshold means kind of what is their, how much can they handle, I guess, of maybe a trigger. Um, when dogs are under threshold, it means that they're learning, they're typically calm. Um, it's just a, it's just a, like a happy, I don't want to say happy, but like a dog that's comfortable in that environment. <clears throat> the dog that is over threshold and will break down under threshold the edge of threshold and going over. So a dog that is over threshold is totally in their amygdala. So remember their amygdala is a part of the brain where the house is on fire. <laughs> and so they are in their amygdala. They are not thinking they are not being logical. Um, they are not tapping into their prefrontal cortex to, to have any kind of a rational thought process, <laughs> you know, cause the house is on fire. So so we will always want to keep the dogs under that. And so what that means is kind of sometimes you may have to manage their environment to keep them under that. So sometimes we might have to manage, um, you know, what their what, what the environment is putting at them or, or giving to them, I guess I would say. Um, and, and dogs that are under threshold, they're not in that like locked and loaded kind of um, mentality where they they are ready to pounce, they're relaxed and they're hanging out in their environment. And that's where we always want to keep dogs. That's where we'd like to keep dogs. I mean, they will go, dogs will go over threshold because they're animals, but we always like to kind of keep them under that threshold. Um, and so it, it, the verge of threshold, so kind of the yellow light. So the under threshold would be like the green light. The yellow light would be kind of verging upon going over. So what do you see in those dogs? Oh my gosh, you see all of those stress signals that we talked about in the body language episode. So you see, you know, stiffened body, you see yawning, you see lip licking, you see 
urogenital checkouts, you see um, avoidance behaviors, you see maybe the beginning of distance increasing behaviors. So maybe some growling, um, maybe some head lowering, maybe their posture is changing. So they're starting um, to kind of escalate um, where they're going to go over that threshold. Um, and then once they go over that threshold, again, that's the barky, lungy um, dog that you see that sometimes you just have to like haul back to the house. Um, that's the terrified dog, maybe the rescue dog um, that came from an uh, environment where they never really met people. Um, and now that you're having a party at your house and they're cowering in the corner. Um, and, and dogs can go over threshold in different ways. You know, they can either totally shut down. Um, or they can go the opposite way where, where they just explode. <laughs> um, and so it can be kind of either way. And so when dogs are over that threshold, again, there's no learning that's going to happen. And people will often say to me, well, gosh, Heather, when they're in that moment where they're barking, lunging, whatever, at another dog or at a car, or they are freaked out because of a thunderstorm, remember, they could either shut down or they can kind of go over, um, people will say, well, they don't won't take any food. Well, of course they wouldn't take any food. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if, you know, Scott, you and I were in the subway in Manhattan um, and the, you know, person, person behind me, uh, the person behind me pulled a knife, you know, that's not the moment where I'd say, Hey Scott, let's go have that pizza. That's your favorite. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, in that moment, you know, you are, again, you are not thinking you are in your amygdala. You are in the houses on fire part of your brain and there is no thought process that is occurring. And so, and so of course they're not eating their, their body isn't set up to like chew and digest food in that moment. <laughs> like all of their brain's energy is going towards, you know, um, keeping them safe in that moment, essentially. So, um, so when dogs, so our goal, when we work with behavior issues is to keep them under that threshold. So keeping them kind of in that, I want to say like thinking zone, you know, where they can think and they can make logical decisions and, and they'll take food and they're able to like see their trigger from afar, um, and be able to handle it. So, so we always want to keep them under threshold. And it's interesting because people will think that, working with dogs that have aggression issues or reactivity issues is this, you know, this big play of like, you know, the dog is barking and lunging and the dog trainer is managing them. And it's not sexy like that at all. It is not what you see on television. Like those of us that do behavior work, it's very boring. <laughs> Usually we are two blocks, a block, I, whatever the threshold, the distances that dog can handle away from a dog. And we're just marking the dog, looking at the other dog. The dog is relaxed. Um, the owner is relaxed. There's no tension. There's no barking. There's no lunging. There's no, you know, no drama, <laughs> I guess. It's very boring. <laughs> and so um, people often think that, that working with dogs that have severe behavior issues is this big production like it may see on television. And it's not. <laughs> Anyone who is educated in behavior work will tell you it looks like you're not doing anything actually, <laughs> which it should be, right? We want to keep them under threshold. We don't want them to practice going over that threshold because if you're working with a dog who's over threshold in that moment, they're not learning anything. You're just, whatever you're saying is just going in one ear around the, the thinking part of their brain and out the other ear. So when the dog is reacting and they're in a full reaction, 
in that moment, you just have to kind of triage and move away from whatever is bothering them. Um, and that would be my advice for most things. So if your dog is worried about a trigger, so we talked about kind of what their triggers are, um, distance is probably your best friend. So if your dog is starting to escalate and you can see that moving away from whatever is triggering them is going to be kind of your best um, management skill in that moment until you have gone through the process to teach them that moving towards the trigger actually predicts something good, which is what we do um, when we work with dogs that are worried about triggers. Now, that becomes a lot more difficult when there are environmental triggers like a thunderstorm, because how do you get away from that? And that's a whole nother beast. <laughs> that's a whole nother um, trigger that is a lot, a little bit more difficult to to get your dog to decompress from because we can't avoid that necessarily. So, um, so trigger stacking. So something to think about when you're, when you're, you know, working with dogs or your own dog. Um, you know what, let's say that for an example, this weekend, let's say that you have a dog that might be, have some stranger danger issues. And let's say this weekend you're having a gathering at your house you know, being really mindful of the fact that this environment is going to be very stressful for the dog that lives at your house is so important because we can take steps to kind of mitigate how stressful they might be. Can we use baby gates? Can we, can we arm everyone that's coming in the house with some chicken breast? Can we, um, maybe make sure they get some of their needs met before Saturday, they go for a long sniff walk. They, um, maybe go to a friend's house for the day if they have a dog friend or a dog sitter or whatever it might be. So, um, thinking about how can I make this environment easier for this dog? Um, because those dogs are dogs in environments like that, that we don't recognize stressors. Those are the dogs that bite. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of us, if you look back to maybe incidences where your dog has had some kind of a reaction to another dog, to a person, you know, oftentimes there are all of these things that precurse that, that once we start really thinking about, we'll, we'll say to ourselves, oh my gosh, yeah, the preempting events to that incident were probably pretty stressful for them. They had some trigger stacking um, that may have occurred. And that's what led them, you know, to that kind of final punch, that, that lunge, that bark, that bite, that nip, that whatever the incident might be. Um, so it's something to, to really consider. And I know we've talked quite a lot about, um, being really astute observers of our dog's body language. And that is the biggest guide that we're going to have to them letting us know how they feel. So, um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so and, and look at the resources because gosh, I tell you, that is, I know for myself, just working with clients, I mean, that guides so much of our next steps and, so much of our ability to see if our dog is, is getting comfortable around the triggers that we have worked really hard to condition them to view as neutral or view to like them. Some of the dogs, you know, our goal is to move them to neutral around a trigger or to make them happy to be around the trigger, I guess. So those are some things to think about, you know, so when something happens that you think, oh my gosh, this is so out of the blue, really think back about, okay, well, what what preempted this and what, what environmental things occurred prior to this event, because we usually can pinpoint some of them. Um, and, and looking back, we can maybe the next time, um, maybe change the environment, manage the dog, um, and put some parameters in place. And some people will say, you know, management 
isn't solving the problem. <laughs> you know, well, if you put your dog behind a baby gate, if you put them in a crate, if you take them to the dog sitter, but you know what? We're humans. Sometimes we just like, we don't have time to deal with it or we don't have, you know, the, the emotional <laughs> um, currency <laughs> to really deal with something maybe in that environment. So that is fine. Oh my gosh. Using baby gates, using management tools is, I am a huge fan of that. There are some days where it's like, you know what? You're going to do so much better today. If you just go to the dog sitter's house or they come and take you for a walk, or we give you a bone in your, in your space, you know, in the back hall or whatever it might be. Um, and that's fine. That's not cheating. That is, you're just doing good husbandry. <laughs> if you can't be there to help them, then management is absolutely fine. Absolutely fine. Um, you're not avoiding the problem. You are just, you're doing good management and you're keeping people safe. And I think that is kind of the, the golden piece <laughs> of, of being a good dog person and, and putting in good husbandry. So <clears throat> I hope that helps everyone kind of understand what looking at triggers and how those can kind of add up to an incident. And then really thinking about threshold for your own dog. And it's going to vary. You know, there are days where <clears throat> maybe they didn't get enough sleep last night or their st stomach is kind of icky because they tried to eat half a dead rabbit in the yard <laughs> or, or things like that, that, that maybe we don't really think about. So something to consider when you're, when you're thinking about your dog and we're thinking about how we can kind of manage everyone's stress. Um, because we know that sometimes when our dogs are stressed, like it elevates our stress and that does not help anyone <laughs> either. So, um, so again, I encourage you look at the body language video or the body language episode and check out the resources, um, that we have listed there. Um, and, and take some time this week to really look at your dog's body language and see what things are kind of maybe mildly triggering to them so that we can help them kind of decompress in the, in the future. <clears throat>